I started understanding what I never grasped as a kid because I was now living it myself. And so I said, well, I'm going to find songs that are my story if I didn't write them. How you doing, everybody? This is John Alexander for another edition of the Ban Twango podcast. And uh, for me, I mean, I've done this for a while. And if you hear a little quivering in my voice tonight, it's because I'm a little nervous and I don't usually get nervous. And I'm sitting across from one of my all-time favorite artists. We're here at Dollywood at the beautiful Dreamore Resort. And headlining tonight, the Lyrics and Lore Annual Songwriters Festival, I would call it, is the one and only Dina Carter. Yes. Hi. How are you, Dina? It's so good to see you. It's been a while. I I know. It has. I met you for the first time, and I think it was right after Strawberry Wine hit. And I was working uh, on Long Island, where I'm from, Long Island. I love it. uh, At WMJC 94.3 with uh, my sister from another mother, Suzanne Alexander. Yes. And uh, uh, Jim Asker was a program director. And there was Dina Carter coming in uh, for an interview. And for whatever reason, your schedule wouldn't allow on Monday through Friday. You were traveling. Mm -hmm. There was an ice storm coming to Long Island. And the uh, interview was going to be taped on a Saturday morning. So... I begged to be able to come to that interview, and I was granted permission. And that's when I first met you. Uh, and uh, I've run into you now and then over the over the course of time. But uh, I'm very excited to have you here. I mean, thank you. You uh, you had a long drive coming to Tennessee. You were coming in from Florida. We did. We came yesterday. I flew from LA with my husband. We flew to Panama City Beach, and then picked up mom and my brother. And drove in yesterday from there. It's about nine hours, eight and a half, something like close to that. We, we gain an hour coming mm-hmm. or lose an hour, however you look at I look at it, we gain one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, Glass half full. But this is kind of home for you. Oh, my goodness. Just driving. I have, you know, I made the drive from Nashville. I was born and raised in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So made the drive. I think. Right? Yes. Cheering that and punching that out with pom poms took a while. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, it's like G double O D L E double T. Like, are we ever going to get to the end of the word? Um, but driving from Nashville to Knoxville to college, I did that so much, and you mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, zombie out and and you take in the beauty of things. But getting to do it after a very long time of being away, it is. I mean, it's like a dry sponge. You're just soaking up every single thing, looking at the changes and the development and how the world's changed a little bit. But sure enough, we start, you know, come. we came through Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. So when we hit the split, all of a sudden everything just started falling, right? You know, you see the views a little bit, the hills and all the smoke and the beauty. And then we hit the split and come in and there's the brown squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> like, there you go. <laughs> Actually, I think I saw it on one of your socials today. Yes, I'm like, it's still there. And I know I'm 10 minutes from campus. Mm -hmm. So we drove all through the campus to see all the changes and what dorms are still there and where my old house is. And the preschool I taught out has been torn down. A lot of changes. But the Wendy's I got run over in the drive-thru, that one's gone. Like, I have so many stories. (laughs) Oh, that triggers memories no matter where you look. Oh, my gosh. And so... Just being here in Knoxville and then coming on over just a couple of miles to east, east, further east mm-hmm. here to Sevierville and Pigeon Forge and this whole area is just 
incredible. You know, I had a roommate from Johnson City. Um, I mean, I just so many people. I think it's not just the the place; it's the the spirit of the people that is attached, just hooked into me from this area. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's embedded in you, and and it's, yeah. it's who you are. It's part of your DNA. It's totally. part of your, yes. your whole life. And you've had quite a life. You've had uh, an amazing life. You've had a, a, a life that's taken different roads and different hills and valleys. I mean, from growing up in a musical family with your dad, Fred Carter Jr., who uh, yeah. kind of exposed you to a lot of music at a very young age. I mean, working with Willie Nelson and Dylan and Waylon Jennings and Simon and Garfunkel and the others, yeah. that must have been an incredible childhood for you. It really was. It's funny because my older brother drove over from Nashville as well, and we were sitting this afternoon, actually this morning at um, breakfast downstairs, talking about the. T- we had a teacher, Mr. Weatherman. He was our fifth grade teacher, and he would ask my brother. He kind of kept up with the music, you mm-hmm. know, and he would say, "I saw who your dad's playing with, and this and that and this, you know." And as kids, we were a little. It was different to have a musician as a parent. Even in Nashville back then, we went to school with some of the other musician kids, but it was like he wasn't the dentist or the veterinarian or the doctor, you know, whatever other parents were doing. So, um, you know, I think people looked like, are you guys okay? Are y'all eating? You know? <laughs> <laughs> the life what? of a musician. Right? And I remember, I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. rambling on stories, but yes, growing up in Nashville was incredible just the studio environment that we got to be a part of which was really incredible the row music row how ingrained that was in our family all the conversations um who's getting married who's getting divorced like I can remember laying down the hall in bed down the hall from my parents room and they would one of my favorite things two things my dad playing guitar 24 7 always when he was home he never sat in a chair and he didn't have a guitar in his hand. Coming home from the studio, he'd sit and play guitar. He just loved it. The other is my parents talking in bed all night. You'd hear them giggling or laughing or, oh, no, what happened? You know, catching up on the gossip or family or whatever it is, our grades or, you know, and just hearing my parents down the hall talking for hours before they'd go to sleep. I love that. Love that so much. So he was a wonderful family man. He was uh, a great dad, and he was comedic and mm-hmm. had a really big personality. And people, he was uh, he was a virtuoso. I mean, a prodigy. People hired him for him. And an inspiration yeah, to you. totally. So you wanted to get into music, right, at an early age. And so you started songwriting going to songwriters, I guess how they do it in Nashville years ago. They still do it today in a different kind of way, but it's a little yeah. little bit different. But you, you were developing your songwriting skills, and then I believe you got a um, – uh, you eventually got a writing deal with Polygram I back did. in the early days. You're so good. I'm impressed. Do, do my research yes, a little bit. Yes, you did. No, like I said, this is something you know. I had hoped that uh, uh, I would, would be able to do sometime in my lifetime is to talk to you, and, and this is a treat for me. Uh, but it wasn't an easy road trying to get a deal. So right. uh, you actually uh, left the music dream and you went to UT and right and you uh, got a degree or you got an education in in uh, 
and taking care of people. Right. Like in rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. So taking care of stroke victims and so. I did. So, uh, but in your heart, I mean, music never left it. Obviously, you wanted to find a way to, to get a deal. Yes, I did. And um, eventually it happened. And I guess Willie Nelson had a part of that. So uh, that's what I'm, you know, that's what I hear. Willie Nelson got a demo tape and there's something about Farm Aid. So yes. how, how did that so, happen there? It was so interesting, and you just, when you were talking about that, it made me think, because being from Nashville, you would think that country music was like the most influential thing in our home, but our house was just a little bit, it was definitely an influence, but he was, my dad was working with um, Simon and Garfunkel Mm -hmm. and Bob Dylan and Joan Baez and Chris Christopherson and um, as well as John Anderson and William Whalen and all these amazing country legends. artists. I mean, yeah. legends. Oof. And really, when you think, of, and Dolly, um, <laughs> God, you think about the common denominator of all that is that they were writers. Yes. They were artists. They were, so I never looked at genre. I really looked at the craft itself mm-hmm. and how each one of those artists had a spot. And they would fan out, like if you put any of them to get in a stack of cards and fanned out a, a hand, none of it would be the same, no, you know? No, And so I was less influenced by country music, believe it or not, than by artists and writers. I really didn't pay attention to genre. And it used to get me in so much trouble at radio because when... I was first starting out, I didn't have, I couldn't tell you the resource of songs. Like I didn't have, Dolly was definitely an influence and I knew some of her songs, but it wasn't like old country that I could reach back and say, these are my influences. My influences were honestly the songwriters I talked about, every genre. Right. And I liked rock and roll. I yes. liked Journey yes. and, yes. you know, Boston and all mm-hmm. these, the, the Bee Gees, like disco and all of that. Well, so, I think we kind of grew up in the same era because yeah. my first concert was the Beatles. I mean, that was in 66, right. but I I was turned on to uh, the Eagles and America and Fogelberg. Yes. All of those. We lived in the best time. We did. That was the best because it, was, it wasn't about genre. It no. really was about songs. That, and it was about wasn't even about format at radio right. because it they wasn't. played albums. They played everything. Yeah, they we, played everything. And that's what I always say you know i would i couldn't understand why we kept getting in trouble and grounded from the record label because they're like you're not talking about country music enough and i'm like but i'm talking about what influenced me which was everything because you were being real i was i was (laughs) and when you're signed to a a label deal i mean they try to change who you are and what you say and there's the you know there's everybody around you and they're all you know they're all kind of dictating yes uh what they want you to be and I Not would, what, who you are. I would always defend the country fans listening on country radio because mm-hmm. I would say, look, I guarantee you the people that like, and I would say, you know, there's always going to be a, a ratio of people that don't, but I would say 90% of the people that like Strawberry Wine also like Leonard Skinner or Journey exactly. or Boston or right. like, don't be insulting to our listeners and think they only listen to one genre of music because I promise you they're, they are vastly full of influence like I am. Mm-hmm. So let's don't like try to paint a picture 
that's not real. Put something in a box and yeah, this yeah, is yeah. where you have to stay. But so, it eventually led to a deal. I mean, yeah. uh, what came first? Because I know, I know the album um, that you'd put out, Did I Shave My Legs for This? Initially, that was released in the UK, wasn't it? Yes, like, it was. And, and did you get the record deal first before that was released? Or you I signed did. to another label over there? So what happened was I had been writing and working. My first manager was Ken Levitan. Really? Yeah. And I'd been writing and working with Jay Joyce. And okay. the band, it was an alt, it, the music we were working on was like Fleetwood Mac and um, Edie Brickell. Mm-hmm. And because Nashville was just booming with alt rock music at the time. We had Walk the West. Yeah. We had, uh, well, Bedlam, because Jay Joyce was in Bedlam. And we were making this music that was kind of Nashville. It was pre-Americana. Before they were saying Americana, it was this interesting genre. And Ken Levitan heard what we were doing and uh, signed me to a man at all one of those like one-page all-in deals mm-hmm. with Polygram, a co-pub with them. And I'd been working with Jay on these really cool songs. And every now and then one would get thrown in that was sort of, I was trying to write country music, like super country and uh, to just see if I could do it. Yeah. And Shave My Legs came not long after that. And and I was like, that's funny. Like it, it was fun to take sort of a sad situation of a relationship where you're not appreciated and put a sense of humor twist on mm-hmm. it, um, like Dolly does. It you created know? quite a stir back then when that song came out, too. <laughs> it did, because who says that? And you're think, you don't say what you think sometimes, mm-hmm. but we did it in music. And anyway, so Jimmy Bowen got a tape that I had done with Jay, and he was very interested. Was that from Willie? Did Willie? Is that where Willie came this in? This was before Willie. Before so Willie, okay. Here's how it connects. So Bowen signed me to Capitol's spinoff label, Liberty. Okay. And Willie was on Liberty because he was going to push Liberty as an alternative label mm-hmm. for the mainstream country label of Capitol. And when Bowen um, left Capitol, it all got folded in. But in that interim time, Willie had invited me to come and do Farm Aid and just come with my guitar and Chuck Jones, who's an amazing songwriter I'd written a lot with, Count Me In, and Before You Ever Heard Goodbye, and a lot of songs. I'd sit at his house and talk about my high school boyfriend and pour my heart out about college and whatever. And and so we got invited to Farm Aid, and, and I had were, just signed you, the deal. Yeah, and you were the only female solo performer on Farm Aid. That, yeah, I think it was Farm Aid, what, Four, five, five, eight, seven. I, I think, think it was. so. It was like ninety yeah. four. Yeah, yeah, nineteen ninety four. Yeah. You see it. You can find it on YouTube. I think, and I look really? terrified. I'm just. I've got this big hair and a vest, and and Chuck and I are there. But so yeah, that whole all the songs I was writing was like about, you know, first love. I was just freshly out of college, and um, it was great. So I got. We did this album. And I wrote and wrote and wrote. Bowen made me write songs. We would do piano, guitar, vocals. Hmm. Me, Dan Dugmore, and John Jarvis, who works with uh, Vince. You know, John is like Vince's go-to keyboard mm-hmm. player. And Dugmore has played on Ron Stat and all these crazy, amazing records. And um, we would just, it was key, piano, guitar, vocals for years. 
of songs I would write and bring into Bo, and he's like, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. Mm. It took years. We finally did a record, and uh, and I said, I'll tell you one thing. We He brought the strings in. Uh, he was, we were, I was working with David Campbell on the string section for that first album. It's a different record from the shade that came out over here. Mm-hmm. But we're upstairs at Emerald on the row and we've got sheet music everywhere. And I would, I didn't know how to write the music down on paper, but I'd sing it all. Like, I want this to go here. And because Bowen wanted me to co-produce my record and he made me do all the work and turn in a notebook and... He just taught me so much. And so we come time, he's like, okay, we're going to get the strings. So David wants to know how many you want. I said, well, all of them. (laughs) (laughs) And he roared. He was like, David, she wants them all, man. (laughs) And so the day we tracked the string section for that record, which did remain, the whole, I think it was the whole Nashville Symphony was crammed in that recording studio he brought them all amazing and he had he had crystal and he just loved making records and i love that wow and then you come back to i guess you didn't really promote it there in this in you did you i actually did and i went to bowen i said you know before i do a tour here because see i'm i mean coming from nashville Mm -hmm. it's brutal you do not want to come out and make a mistake and coming out from the shadow of my dad and all of that pressure. I just said, can I go overseas first and cut my teeth? And he said, well, you got to ask, I think it was Koppelman, the like head grand Charles, Charles Koppelman, the head of the EMI of like a worldwide, you know, he's like the queen's card buddy, you know, or whatever. (laughs) He's like, you got to ask compliments. So I did. And I said, can I please go overseas first? And he said, sure. So they flew me to London, and I mastered that first record at Abbey Road. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I lived in a little flat over there, and we mastered the record there. And um, I got on a pl- – <laughs> we came back here, and I went back there, and I went with my guitar in a suitcase – and went and met a tour manager. He picked me up at the airport, took me to a rehearsal hall, a band I'd never met, that had learned the record, all Brits, awesome guys. And we did a full-on tour with Jimmy Nail, who's an actor who was in, he did all uh, Vita Zane, and um, a tour was called Crocodile Shoes. And we toured all over Europe and didn't get paid basically paid to play you know Mm -hmm. how you do when you start out and came back here and Bowen had been fired and there wasn't a head of the label and they had basically dropped me from the record label when I got home nobody knows all this stuff well I know you had a lot of tumultuous times at Capitol after the first record had come Mm -hmm. out and sold five million copies or whatever and then all of a sudden you know people are changing the presidents are coming and going so we had five record label executives before the record ever even came out so Quigley I remember yeah Yeah. I mean there were so many because I was you know involved in marketing and advertising sales at the time and I just remember the constant change over there but um, you get back to the states you found out you're dropped (laughs) 
and what was the catalyst in getting you back? Was it was it Mar- uh, Matresa? Well, I freaked. I freaked out, and I called once again. You know, I called. Um, I guess it was. I can't remember who I talked to. To be honest, I, it was like Koppelman, um, the heads of EMI, and I just said, you know, I'm like a million dollars in debt. You know, because you have to pay yeah, all yeah, this yeah. money back. Yeah, right. It's like uh, and, legalized loan sharking. Yeah, and I said. <laughs> I've been dropped and we've had, I haven't even had a chance over here yet, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, we met with Scott Hendricks because he had oh, okay. just been put in place. Mm-hmm. And they sent Scott a video that we had done over there called Angels Working Overtime. And he called me in the office. And I think the video hooked him because he he saw that there was a, something there but the music for him wasn't right yet a new label head a new whole new project but your stage presence the voice your your your, the way you your image all of that it was the charisma yeah the magic yeah and so he saw that there was an element there worth pursuing and that's when we decided he wanted to bring in some outside songs which freaked me out because you're a writer i'm a writer and um he said we're going to keep Part and bring in some and all this and it was it was rocky there for a little while but that's when I said I started understanding the community of Nashville mm-hmm. and how publishers work with labels and you've got awards voting and all the politics of that that are important when you're trying to support a business like a whole format I started understanding what I never grasped as a kid because I was now living it myself and so I said, well, I'm going to find songs that are my story if I didn't write them. And I was a huge fan of Matresa. Yeah. What a writer. My oh, man. And uh, she at the time had some great records out, and she was a great artist. So I, she had just recorded Strawberry Wine, and we danced anyway mm-hmm. close together. And I took them in at the same time. Oh, okay. I did. Other people tell you they found it. I love hearing the stories yeah. of how Strawberry Wine was found and yeah, recorded them, and all right? that. But Gary Harrison was a, also a writer on that. Was yes, he, he a was. Writer too. So Gary but, and Matresa yeah. had written that. And then she wrote We Dance with uh, Randy Scruggs. Mm-hmm. And wow. um, so I took those in and I said the demos were fabulous. Yeah. Left of center. And uh, I said, I've lived this. This is my story. I've lived this. And... We recorded it, and they tried to take the bridge out and do all this stuff. Anyway, it ended up being great. And Scott was a hero in the end because the fans at radio were the ones, you know, we had packaged I've Loved Enough to Know to be the first single, if you remember. Mm -hmm. And we were playing Strawberry Wine on the guitar in the studio, in the stations. Oh, you're doing the conference room deal. Yeah, or just on the air like we're doing right now. I'd pick up my guitar and play the song. And that was the one. (laughs) And everybody's, the phones are going ding, 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 you know. And that's what changed it. And he was such a hero to turn all that around. Well, it was such a refreshing song to hear. I mean, it just kind of stood out at the time. And, you know, it was uh, was a lot uh, easier for females to get airplay at the time. There were females everywhere, which I'll go over in a second. But that song just stood out, and that song was just kind of, magic on the radio it so was. it took off and made number one it, it took 16 weeks to chart though it, 
But that's nothing. Back know. then, that was like for Back a, then, now it's like a, a year I to know. work a single. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, by the time a, you get ready for a second single, the act's already been dropped. I, I mean, know. It's, it's, the, it's the worst environment yeah. ever. But anyway, that song just kind of skyrocketed you. And uh, it really, you know, the nominations it received across the board and and then in, uh, when the album come out, and then and then when you won Song of the Year, was it Song yeah, of the Year, Single of the Year? Yeah. And you had the probably the most memorable acceptance speech in the history of the CMAs yeah. with Randy Scruggs. And, um, Ricky Skaggs. Ricky, yeah. I'm, sorry, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, Ricky Skaggs, right, because he's yes. there, and then he goes, oh, we're Dina Carter, come yeah. on, goodness, little girl. And, yeah. and all of a sudden, there you go, and you just ran barefooted and <laughs> leaped into his <laughs> And it was like, to this day... And they actually showed that on the 2019 CMAs. They did. Because you were given Blake Shelton. Yes. Uh, Blake won the award yep, that year. He did. And he said he wouldn't jump into your arms. He'd I know. Whatever. He's a big boy. He's uh, so cute. He's always been so funny and cute. I but, love Blake. But that led to Grammy nominations. It led to an incredible run for that album, which sold, like I said, $5 million. Yeah. And I think you wrote six of the songs on there. Yeah. Uh, and then you had hit after hit. You had three... Three hits right out of the box with that after Strawberry Wine, but that was an incredible record. And then, yeah. and then the second album, Thank uh, you. the second album comes out, um, and there's changes again. Lots of lots going on. Yep. You know, it's almost like you you had this incredible momentum and success, and you were everywhere. And then all of a sudden, it's like crickets. It's like what happened? Yeah. And it was all because the the turmoil that was happening internally right. at at the label. It was really difficult. It was hard for so many people. Well, Not just course. me. I mean, Bill Catino, like all the staffers oh, yeah. that had been there yeah. for forever and ever. And, you know, when you see your and I had survived already tip what you would call five generations of staff mm-hmm. at a label yeah. in my time. Um, but the people that, you know, made that first record happen. The, the amount like the ones that weren't even there anymore the first time around, it's like. I have gone back and seen those people and thanked them because it takes they, they a your, village. They were your champions. It takes so many people from yeah. the the radio to the regionals to um, our PR people. Uh, you know, the audio, vis- I mean, the visuals and the videos were huge in yeah. Breaking Acts back then. And it was just such a big team. Our budgets were so big and crazy what we used to do we had sterno catering in the studio like the good old days Mm -hmm. i love that i got to experience i don't regret any of this not an ounce not an not a second i don't regret that record first record probably cost me about i think they said i'd have to sell like three million to break even because it was so many years and mm-hmm. all the investment, but that's when they did. Um, well, that's when they developed development an artist. Deals. There's no more. Yeah. There's no more artist development. I know it's gone, and you can tell. Oh, I yeah, think absolutely. So, I, I would pay it all back again, mm-hmm. and I still, you know, I'm so thankful that I did. You know, I don't owe anybody anything. Thank the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> but I just accept all the gratitude in my heart for all the people, whether they stayed or weren't there anymore or whatever went down god has a plan and true it went the way it was supposed to go yes and i still pinch myself that that got to be me well it was uh you know to this day i mean your legacy has been built off of not just your family legacy but that album and of course who you are and what you've done across your life 
and the uh, projects that you've done. And I remember you signing with Arista and uh, putting out I'm Just a Girl in 2003. And that was a great album, Thank too. You. I really liked that album. That but, was so good. Uh, but it was just kind of like the, the whole business was starting to change. It was getting more corporate. And, I mean, it yeah. was just getting, you know, I, I've been in Nashville for 20 years. And uh, it's changed so much. But even when I was started visiting Nashville in the late 90s, and it's just so different. Yeah. It's just it's not the same anymore. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's so different. That record, you know, it's funny about that one because Joe Galani was amazing. He bought out my capital contract, yeah. brought me over. We did this amazing record. Um, and I went on the road with Kenny and Keith. Yes. We had the best tour. That was like two, three, 2004 in that time. And we came off the road, and that was also right around the time the Dixie Chicks thing had gone down. Mm-hmm. Remember all that? And mm-hmm. um, and we end because there was a lot of political turmoil, kind of like now. There was, there was a lot yeah. of politics stuff going on, and people were getting consumed with that. And but we went to war on the day my record was supposed to come out, and literally our country went to war with another country, and. And you just don't get, I mean, it's everything's dark on TV and radio and it's all, so that's, you know, who can help that? Good Lord, you, it was so unfortunate because once again, a great label, Mm -hmm. so many people, I mean, Galani put so much, such good people and such a, an effort. And then some things happen, you know, and I think Joe was so sad about that because he Mm -hmm. loved that project. He's very passionate about me as an artist and he consulted me on my little own label I called him and he he's very helpful such a kind man and you just learn you got to learn to roll with it because there will be the next thing and just don't let it take you out you got to just persevere and you got to just believe in yourself and that there's a plan as you said and you got to follow that plan and 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 just see where it goes where it takes you and so you've moved around you know a bit you went to LA and and uh you you left the whole Nashville scene but one thing I wanted to talk to you about and it's just it's it's about the current state uh, of of the industry and women who don't get their their fair share I remember when your record came out in 96 97 I'm just going to mention a few names yeah. to you because now right there, it, it, there's, there's hardly any uh but trisha reba yeah patty loveless yeah uh mary chapin carpenter Susie bogus pam tillis winona shania leanne rhymes martina terry clark kathy matea mindy mccready mm-hmm. jody messina uh that's really in 97 and then 98 yeah. the chicks and faith hill yeah. and, but look at the amount of talent look at the talent oh and, and look they're all different Yes, and they're all getting airplane, and they're all outselling. Yeah, like even the guys. There was out, certainly outselling the guys. Right. And what a golden era it was for the music business and for country music. It and, was. And now you know you have Carrie. Yeah. You know you, you're lucky if you hear Marin Morris on the radio. You you know Casey Musgraves. You're lucky if you hear her on the radio. Yeah. And then you have like just a handful like Kelsey Ballerini. You hear her on the pop side, more country pop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's there's nothing. They're not giving them a, sh- a chance. You know it's funny that well go ahead with your question. No, the question is, is what do you think? I mean, what what's the What's the disconnect? Why are the program directors who are operating radio stations today, or even it, it, it has to start from the labels too, everyone knows that there's a problem, but no one is fixing it. Mm-hmm. So as someone who's been there, done it, travel around the world, you know, has certainly been 
you know, a pioneer in a lot of ways, too, with your music and what you did. What do you think is going on, and what do you think, how do you change it, or can you at this point? I think, well, part of me, you know, when we talk about it, I really did live this because when my single came out, it was it was a male-dominated format, and there were five of us going for singles on the same day, women, mm-hmm. five girls. I think it was Reba, Kathy, Mindy, Leanne Rhymes had been 12 weeks ahead of us, so she was kind of... Blue was all you heard. Yes. It was Blake. It was you big, remember. Big song. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was that and and honestly, that really sort of cracked the egg, the surface of it. But for five girls to be coming out on that Tuesday, July 29th, mm. I'll never forget it. With the same like mine I was the dark horse because I had a five minute <laughs> waltz. Like mm-hmm. it was and everybody else had tempo and you know, all yeah. this going on. And um it was slow going a little bit, but it broke through and everybody sort of found their way. So honestly, I think I feel like it's going to happen again. And then I think, are you crazy? Because the, the way the radio is right now, as far as and I'm not dogging the radio, I'm saying the way we live our lives, technology, everything's programmed, everything's at our fingertips we had the one-on-one we went to the stations we did the ditch digging like the full-on physicality of those relationships i don't feel like is as now i'm not out there doing it so some of the newer artists might argue with me but i don't feel like there's as much of a a physical connection with us in general as a society Mm -hmm. so we're not getting um opportunities to play three album tracks when you're at the station true do you know what i'm saying so people aren't getting the opportunity male or female to really this it's less of a gender problem and more of a relationship problem i feel like they're not getting the opportunity as the listeners to get to know these artists to vest their time like fans do yeah and have full album projects and not just singles there's no more of that all that it's all uh I still it's think it's like going to happen. Instant gratification. I mean, it's labels are finding their artists today on uh, social media. Yeah. You know, on the streaming. Yeah. And it's just kind of like you. Streaming lo- you, was hard. Yeah. That really cut us off at the knees. I would blame streaming probably. You know, it's my son is a huge streamer. Mm-hmm. on the main streaming service that I go, give me your phone. We need to delete mm-hmm. that app yeah. because they don't pay us. But I will tell you, streaming is how they live. Yeah, that's uh, that's just the way, where we are today. Yeah. Um, I know you have a sound check in uh, probably about seven minutes for the performance tonight, so we'll ask oh, no, a couple okay. of parting uh, questions. Uh, because obviously one thing I have to really uh, talk to you about was Several, I think it was less than five years ago, maybe three years ago. Uh, we hadn't seen you in a while, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're out there at the city winery yeah. with the story of my life tour. Is that what you called it? I with think the, so. With the slideshow projector. Oh and, yeah, that was uh, yes, that was just a little solo run I but did. That was an amazing thing. I mean, really, it, the place you? was packed. I loved it. I thought it was kind of like a. 
uh, a way to hear the story of where you've been, where you, you know, how these songs developed. And mm-hmm. it was one of the most amazing concerts I'd ever went to just because I was just enthralled with, look at this. I mean, she's just telling a story and there's a slideshow. And uh, I just uh, I just wanted to see how that how you came up with that concept because you've toured all over the world and you've had, you know, I can't even get into everything else that's happened uh, in your life. I mean, not only, you know, the other song of the year candidate that, uh, that you put on an album on, I believe it was on uh, uh, the, the Arista release. And then Mm -hmm. Kenny Chesney turned it into a monster hit and it, and you were nominated for a Grammy Thank and you oh, so, with Matresa, yeah, the crazy, yeah, yeah it's it was like so full crazy. circle. In I know, a way. yeah. So you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're not you're not touring a lot, you know, right? And then you playing the City Winery in Nashville, and it was like, oh my goodness, and show up and see this wonderful show and. Uh, that was such a great concept. I mean, thank you. Are you going to do anything like that, or is it because that was a unique thing? That was also out of the box. So I yeah. just have to say it was one of the best that shows I've ever. Thank seen. you so much. You know, when we started out doing that, I, I mean, I totally. They asked if I would do some because I've always toured, and yeah. really the the tough years were um, the split with my son's dad and being that single mom and having to go on the road and coordinating his care at home and or when he'd go whatever that was that was like dialing back the touring and prioritizing parenting and in LA away from family and not a sob story but it really was prioritizing my baby and he was starting school and all those important things that you don't want to miss so I toured just enough to keep everything going and when he was getting older the story truly is, he said, um, Mom, didn't you used to sing for a living? <laughs> I think I told this during the show. And I laughed, you know. He said, well, what happened? Did you get fired? He had all these questions, like, why aren't you on the road? And I'd really been praying about it because I was starting to think, I'll go get my master's and mm-hmm. maybe the music is done and, you know. And God just through that little kid's mouth, I mean, he said, um, I like it when you sing to me, and I think people would like to hear you sing again. And it was just such a direct direction yeah. that I got back at it and got busy. And when Kenny cut you in tequila, and it was like basically, I mean, it didn't go number one. It was one week away. We yeah. were, But we got to go back to the Grammys and the CMAs and all these things, and it got the interest back and I started going back to Nashville a lot and writing and that's when I met Casey and mm-hmm. all these new artists and started mentoring and just started see getting filled up with this talent this new yeah. talent and it was just fabulous so I guess rambling um I did that solo show because it's something I needed to do and I needed it to start back at the beginning. It was a limited run. You did uh, probably a handful. Maybe. I did like ten. Yeah, it was like it wasn't a big, big tour, but it was a memorable one. And 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 just Thank you. fast forwarding to today, uh, and and you're doing something really special. I guess today, you know, you're probably all about giving back and mentoring the young the young artists that are coming up. That's a big thing for you. But you're talking to people every week. Uh, on video, mm-hmm. and it's TGIF. Yes, and it's uh, it's on your own YouTube channel. Yeah, and I think you've done 156 episodes. That was last now. night at 3 a.m. Yeah. when YouTube wouldn't post. I'm like, Rah! 
And uh, so that's got to be a for you. I mean, it's 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 the way of showing the world your faith, yeah, your belief, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a very calming. Um, Video blog is what I call it, but it's Thank a you. it's a way to communicate with people out there and uh, share your innermost thoughts and feelings about life and faith in the Lord and, yeah. and what you're what you're here to do. Uh, Thank you. The so I, I have to so just sweet. say it's a, and it's an amazing thing to um, for you to do that. Thank uh, you. And uh, and well, it, it's really it's really exciting for me to. Uh, get to introduce you tonight uh, also when you get up on stage but but I have to just say that um, uh, you know the video blog and tell us a little bit just about how that started and 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 what you hope to accomplish with uh, this weekly episodic uh, video well I thought I would be done with it uh, I didn't think it would go for like a series ever here we are 156 episodes later going on our fourth my fourth year and um it's become like the pin in the map i'm back to just i like free forming it where it's what i go through this week you know and this past week i'd had a, a really tough argument and uh situation and i talked about it mm-hmm. let's go to the bible what does god say to do and so I don't feel like it's religious or preachy. I think all God wants us to do is admit that we make mistakes, ask him to forgive us, and guide us through, like, not doing it to well, the best. That's, be- that's <laughs> you where know? the name comes in, TGIF, Thank God I'm Forgiven. Right. So. And that's was my, here I go with my sort of spin and trying to make light, but to say, thank God I'm forgiven. And yeah. so that's where it came from. And final question, I mean, what's the future hold for you? I have no clue, and I'm so excited about it. That's a good thing. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, you know, you're at a certain point in your life. You've done it all. You've done it all. You've well, seen it all. I mean, you really have had an incredible journey, and so that's kind of like, you know, for me, I'm, I'm going to be 63 next week, um, and uh, I'm like, you know, whatever the future is, I'm not concerned about it anymore. It's just going to unfold and happen. Happy early birthday. Thank you. I want to say, though, you know, I'm one of the, like when they honor people and I'll, I'll say a couple of things. Dolly, I used to watch her on the award shows mm-hmm. and I remember specifically when she won an award and, and I cried and I thought, I want that to be me because she I've always related to her being a Tennessee person. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's always sort of held a, a, a pin in the map for me. Um, and. If anyone ever did a tribute, like you see them do these things for Reba and all these people, they win the Cecil B. DeMille Award like the or whatever, Award the Lifetime stuff. Achievement yeah. Award, whatever. I could never win that, like, because I've, I had, I mean, I think we do have an iconic song in country music, which is like winning the lottery anyway, but I don't feel like I've done enough, and I hope that I always feel that way. You know, like someday I would love to be a part of that. Not that I want to be honored, but I'm saying to have accomplished enough things that are good that you could be considered in that light. But I don't know if I will ever get there because I feel like there's so much maybe, more I need to do. I haven't done should, nearly maybe, enough. Maybe you should write a book about your your life. I mean, yeah. 
because you have incredible stories and you and you got a vision for the future. You don't know what's going to happen, but uh, you're here and you're going to enjoy every day. Oh, I am. Yeah, I am. Is, what else can you ask for? Exactly. Right? Uh, you could find Dina Carter uh, at dina.com, which is her website. Mm-hmm. Uh, Instagram is at Dina Tunes. Uh, Twitter is at Dina Sings yeah. at Twitter. And your Facebook is official Dina Carter. So uh, I would recommend that you check out all of her socials. And, of course, uh, she's got a great catalog of music, and she's uh, one of the iconic figures in this entire industry and is someone who performs every every time she's out there performing the passion. And uh, I can't wait for the show to start tonight. So Thank it's you. been my pleasure. It's really a deep, lifelong uh, honor for me to be able to sit here across from you and talk to you today. Thank you. So thank you so much for me your time. Me too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Until uh, next time, this is John Alexander for the Band Twango podcast, and we'll see you again real soon. Mm-hmm.